0: Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for January 25th, 2023. I'm Melissa Davlin and I'm joined today by Superintendent of Public Instruction, Debbie Critchfield. Thanks so much for joining us today. I I wanted to ask you about your legislative priorities. This is your 23rd day in office and you've entered office in the middle of a lot of massive education debates
1: that are already in progress and some that are just getting started. But what's on your agenda? You're right about education taking up most of the space for the conversation and, and thankfully having paid attention and then really active as a candidate, that was always a part of what I was talking about. So although it's the 23rd day officially in office, there's been a number of things that you know, we've, I've been talking about and now I'm in a position to work on. Career technical education, tops my list. Um, actually, I've got some that are tied, I guess. Uh, career technical education, 7th through 12th grade. Uh, literacy is going to be a huge part of what I talk about, and I want to elevate math to that same level of literacy. We've, we've seen some uh, concerning declines, particularly in grades 5 through 8, when it comes to our math achievement levels, and so let's start talking about that and focusing on, on ways. Um, many of the things are um, items that schools have been talking about for a long time, whether it's pay, classified or teacher pay, um, facility issues, school safety, um, how we addressed our special ed populations, gifted and talented. I think there's a number of places that that we'll be able to, to make some positive changes let's start with
0: literacy and math this is a conversation that we've been having since before the pandemic and of course we've seen some learning loss and some really concerning test scores since hybrid learning and uh, learning from home how do you raise those scores
1: well i have my ideas <laughs> that I actually think are supported um, by uh, by research and and frankly what schools are already doing around the state when we look at successful scores in school districts, that there is a recipe that, that isn't secret. And, and one of the things that I want to do is connect our districts who are successful to those that are still trying to figure out, you know, what, what should we be doing? What kinds of curriculums should we be investing in? How are we training and preparing our teachers? I'm going to really talk repeatedly about how we uh, look at the science of reading. So the science of reading is not a book but it's a way that we teach teachers so that they can teach reading. And it is um, an important part of how districts choose their own curriculum. And so, as you know, local districts are, are making those, those choices, which is fantastic. We wanna support that, but we want, from a Department of Education perspective and for me as a superintendent, going to put money into these things and we're trying to improve the reading scores then we've got to look at the science of reading now that's one side of it and then for me the other side is how are we preparing our teachers while they're going through their colleges of education so that they are ready to hit the classroom with what they need do most idaho teachers come from idaho universities
0: yeah in other words how much control do we have over that career prep to get them ready for the classroom?
1: You know, I don't know the percentage of how many go through our traditional routes, but I do know that as a member of the State Board of Education who oversees our colleges and universities, that I will have an opportunity with the board to influence those types of things. I've already reached out and had months ago to several of our deans of the colleges of education to say, look, I've been on the campaign trail for 18 months now. This is what I'm hearing from teachers who say, I wish I knew, if only I had known, or if only I had been prepared in in these ways. And then districts who also are hiring our new people whom we want to have teachers continue to come into our districts that say, you know, there's a a level of um, investment that we have to make when we get teachers into the district, things that they didn't learn. So it's not, to me, it's not just one thing with the reading, but focusing on the teachers and how we support them and how we provide them with the effective tools. If we already know what works, why aren't we doing it on (laughs) a universal level? What a fantastic question. (laughs) Uh, and, And that is, I mean, that's one of those kind of head scratching Moments that you say these things don't connect. We see where successful districts are and what they're doing. We look nationally and we see what works. So, how come, you know, fill in the blank? Now, I can't provide an answer for every local decision, but what I can supply an answer to, and, and my conclusion, is we have lacked the leadership at the state level. Now what I've learned in my very, very you know, three weeks time in the Department of Education that there are pockets of places where if a teacher needed some sort of intervention or strategy to help a student who was on a specialized learning plan, that information was provided, okay, well, if nothing else works, use this. Well, the if nothing else works, use this thing was the thing we needed to be using first. And I repeatedly heard from teachers, where has this been? we need to make this available to everybody we need to make sure it gets out so i'm i'm gonna you know become the the state or town crier on on talking about the science of reading you requested some new positions
0: for early literacy can you talk a little bit about what those what you envision those positions doing
1: yes Uh, when i got a copy of the org chart which i actually printed off the website after (laughs) the election to understand how are all these things broken out it was um it was interesting, I guess, for me to look and see that kind of buried amongst all these blocks and squares and there's 130 people that work for the Department of Education, that kind of over to the side, underneath several other things, was uh, a position for um, literacy. And I thought, well, if we're, we're trying to elevate this position um, or not elevate the position, but if we're trying to get the results, we need someone who is leading and driving what's happening in the state. And so one of the things in, in reorganizing and restructuring is to make that a more prominent position and then recognizing that one person for the entire state, 115 school districts and 70 char- public charter schools, that that one person is going to be able to facilitate every single change that we have with our school leadership, not gonna happen and and so that was the the impetus for requesting another position recognizing that we want to we want to build this and we've got to have people to make the program there's been a lot of discussion about teacher
0: pay raise to help with retention and for good reason but they're not the only ones who make a school run. The the governor has also proposed a 5% pay raise for classified employees. In other words, employees like bus drivers, kitchen staff, secretaries, paraprofessionals, um, tech workers in the school. Absolutely critical for a school to successfully operate. But is that 5% going to be enough to close the gap between what these workers make in the school district
1: versus what they could make in the public sector? I think it gets us closer for now, but I also think that that salary portion of school operations is something we're always gonna be chasing. Uh, When we look back at 2008 and 2009, uh, when schools had to cut back in every way, shape and form, we've been working slowly back uh, to be able to get there. And and so I think that this is a, a gigantic leap in the right direction. Uh, my concern always with these things is that we don't think that it's done. Well, we took care of that, so we don't need to ever worry about that again. We're always gonna be, well, we hope, uh, with a thriving state in a competitive work environment. And so I, we wanna make, to me, we, we make this um, a priority. We put the money there and then make sure we're monitoring so that our schools don't find themselves seven ten years from now in the exact same position. How much does the cost
0: of living and the availability of housing also play into this conversation about employees being able to, afford continue working for the
1: districts? It's number one. Um, folks that I talk to that want to stay in education or wish they could stay in education were it not for the economic challenges that come with that. Um, you, you bring up another interesting point of this um, with the housing. Something else that I, that I learned and, and, and have observed myself coming from a small rural community many times it's not even that you can or can't afford a home but the availability of a home, particularly as you get outside of, you know, the Treasure Valley and more of our urban areas around the state. Uh, Trying to connect a a new young teacher, young family, or even someone who wants to move into the community because they they like the culture that's there. Many times those individuals will say to the principal, to the superintendent, I'd love to come here, but I don't know where I'm going to live. Let's talk about school choice. We
0: know that school choice nationwide is really gaining momentum. It is gaining support. And we also know that we are going to see school choice legislation this session. What do you
1: want to see in those proposals? I'd like to see something that doesn't come out of the current public schools budget, that is money that would never have gone to the public schools in the first place. Um, I have many times um, referenced empowering parents as an example of a vehicle that we currently have in the state, that money does not come to public schools. And so it's not money that they'll necessarily, they're not gonna miss it in that sense. Uh, you know, when I when I hear the conversations of, well, we don't, for those that are proponents of some sort of ESA, um, a universal ESA, they say, well, we don't wanna defund public schools. And, and, and I appreciate and respect that that's how they're talking about it. But there's only so many ways to slice the same pie, and an ESA being an education savings account. Yes, thank you. Um, education is you know there are so many acronyms, acronyms all over the place, and so you know we I, that that for me is one of one of the conditions upon which we look you know as a state at how to do that. The other two um, are that we have some type of accountability. I think that that should be an expectation. It's an expectation as we spend taxpayer money um, to our local school districts, that there is a transparency and that would be that third part of it, uh, of how that money is being used. So, you know, I I talk to every um, dot along the same spectrum of this school choice discussion. And I guess I would start out by saying I am 100% in favor of and a proponent of school choice. For many, the only definition of school choice is if you give all of the money to the parent. And, and, and that's, I think that that's where people, um, we talk around each other and to the side of each other instead of saying, look, we all support school choice. How do we do this realistically that it doesn't impact public schools, particularly our rural schools? You
0: know, I, I'm curious about accountability and transparency, both with the funding and also with student achievement. Let's start with the funding portion. How do you envision that transparency and
1: accountability looking like? If the money were given directly to families? Well, I, I, I think that um, it would have to be something very similar to, to what we do with um, our, our public schools, that there's some type of Reporting back to you. Know, this is how I use the money now It may not be to the level and the degree that you're putting every data point and this is the date that my child took a test You know we're, I don't think it's something like that but to understand that the, the parent honestly used that money then to go find the right educational environment for their child and I know there's some bills out there and I to my knowledge um, I have not seen that addressed but I haven't seen everything and I haven't scrutinized it to that level. How
0: about student achievement? How do you monitor content standards and also that students
1: are meeting the same kind of goals that we would want them to in a public school setting? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. And and right now, we don't regulate that. If you are outside of the public system and you're not taking taxpayer dollars, if you homeschool, private school, obviously private schools have ways that they communicate back to their parents. But for our homeschool families, uh, that, that's something that they address. And there's a reason that they left a system because they didn't want to be a part of that. And, and I completely respect that and, and will protect their right to be able to do that. This conversation really comes down to how do we responsibly say Here is this money. We're hoping and want you to educate your child with with monies uh, from taxes and, 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 and know that that's where it's being directed. You said that
0: you feel like these two camps are talking past each other. How Knowing that you don't want public schools to be harmed in this process, you don't want any money taken out of that stream going to them. And there are a lot of people who want that, who want those education savings accounts and want the money that would otherwise be going to their child's public school to go to their education savings account. If you're on these diametrically opposed sides, how do you plan on
1: bridging that gap? Well, I'm gonna continue to offer uh, suggestions as I have. Uh, For some, they have a a philosophical point that they they don't wanna change. And, and that's okay, because I'm at a philosophical point myself, so so I get that. Um, somehow we've got to find that middle place. And, and again, looking at programs that we already have in place. For example, Advanced Opportunities is monies that are available to 7th through 12th graders that they can use Anywhere they want, including private school students can use that money. Now there is a reporting and accountability that comes with that, but that is another example of Idaho saying, we recognize that your child may want to um, get a jump start um, outside of high school, here's how you can do that. And so what vehicles do we already have in place that are demonstrating uh, a a commitment to support parent choice? And, And so those are the places that I look, what do we already have that's existing that we can expand or tweak um, that are monies that don't go directly to schools. Do you think we're gonna get there this session? I don't know. I, I mean, we're uh, three weeks in and you know, I, I'm hearing about bills coming forward. Uh, I, I know that this is one of the topics of the day and uh, those parents who, who feel very strongly about it on either side are um, actively trying to persuade um, legislators you know, with their viewpoint. And so I think there's more discussion to come.
0: You mentioned that one of your top priorities is also career technical education. And so understanding that you're the superintendent of public instruction, K through 12, you still have your eyes on that go on rate and that career readiness. When you're looking at your relationship with the State Board of Education, with the higher education institutes, Department of Labor, Commerce, private industry, what does that perfect setup look like to you?
1: Well, it's the collaboration piece. I, I think that that's one of the pieces that we've been missing that the, the superintendent side, Department of Education side has has been um, a missing player or not at the table when these conversations are had. And I would throw in Workforce Development Council added to that as, as a way to facilitate the conversations of here's what industry needs, here's the, the, the preparation and, and the skills that they're looking for. Who in within this system can help satisfy those needs. And and I don't want seven through 12 grades to be overlooked to the point that I think that we need to really think about how we transform the high school experience for a junior and a senior and make it less about C time and more about the application of knowledge. How do we get that that CTE uh, piece uh, more emphasized? And how do we create opportunities within graduation pathways that are existing now so that students see that there are more options and, and I don't want to downgrade college. I have a college education. That was the choice that I made, but I want to make sure that all the choices get brought up to the same playing field and that our students see that they can or when they're at high, when they are going to school, they're like, "Okay, I see where I fit into all of this."
0: What does that look like in a place like Ledor where they are, you know, 45 minutes away from the next nearest school district. They don't have the resources to have say a nursing program or something along those lines. How do you make sure that the rural schools don't get left behind in this conversation?
1: Well, I think it's two things. I I think that um, one is financial. There there can be a financial barrier to all of these things, but that may not be the only thing, and what I'm finding is it is not the only thing. We can also unknowingly or um, just with unintended uh, consequences uh, limit the programming that takes place at these schools because of policy barriers. And so as I talk to school districts, many of our districts do not receive the added cost funding that comes with some of the career technical programming because it's limited either through federal funds or there's not enough money at the state level. And so having, to me, having this conversation about how do we increase CTE and LedOR, which would be the perfect example and likely one of the places where that's what the community wants their students to be exposed to then we have to look at that policy side. Are we doing something to keep them from accomplishing their goals? And then how do we come in with the money to get them started?
0: One last question. What are your thoughts on the governor's proposal for the scholarship scholarship for Idaho students? who stay in Idaho and go to a public institution, $8,500
1: for graduating seniors. Well, for what I've described to you with the CTE, I I see those as as companions uh, for each other. We want our students to be the the most prepared to make good decisions when they exit high school and have the opportunity to take advantage of that money. How do we do that? Well, we make sure that they're exposed to good programs uh, while we have them in the public school setting. Superintendent of Public Instruction Debbie Critchfield, thank you so much for joining us. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marsha Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.